Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of What to Watch on Netflix. My name is Jed Shepard and I am your host. This is the podcast that you check into when you want to have recommendations on what to watch, things that your friends may not have told you about, things you may not have read about online. Um, it's also a chance to listen to filmmakers talk about their process and the projects they're involved in. Today I've got some great guests on. One of them is here at the moment. Um, that's filmmaker Daniela Amavia. Daniela, how are you? Hello there. <laughs> I'm good. How are you doing? Thanks for having us on. That's no I'll problem. Be for now. <laughs> yeah, hopefully Abigail joins in later. We've got Abigail Spencer, um, who is the lead actress um, in Daniela's film, which we'll come on to in just a second. Um, Daniela, you're based in, in LA, right? I am, although I'm not from here. I came here about 12 years ago and kind of got stuck. Yeah. Um, you got in the film capital. What can you do? You've got a bit of a European accent, um, not like mine. But where are you from originally? <laughs> <laughs> I am from Greece, but I grew oh. up in Germany, and I actually spent a lot of time in London. Oh, did you? Um, and yes, and I kind of, I kind of miss it a lot right now, especially now talking to you and hearing your voice. <laughs> I kind of want to get on a plane <laughs> and come home. Oh, well, you, you're more, more than welcome to escape uh, what's going on over there. But it's, to be honest, it's <laughs> yes, not <I> have to. <laughs> it's not that good here either with Brexit. It's it's we're in a similar situation where things are spiraling out of control. But luckily, we have the escapism of film and cinema to kind of keep us sane, hopefully. And uh, you have mm-hmm. a film that you that you directed and that you wrote that stars Abigail called A Beautiful Now. And um, mm-hmm. I admitted to you before we came on that I've only watched about half of it. But what I've watched so far is is brilliant. Um, and it's a really interesting, unique story that I've not kind of seen before. Maybe the closest I've seen to something like this in terms of kind of theme is possibly, weirdly, Suspiria. I don't know if Suspiria was in your mind. Yeah, if when you, when you were kind of writing this. But tell us about A Beautiful Now and um, how it came about. Suspiria uh, was not in my mind. It was This story has been turning in my head for a very long time. This is all, all the characters are based on either myself or people that I love and know, my friends. And, of course, I took the events that happened and dramatized them and magnified them for the purpose of, you know, dramatic freedom um but it's just it, when i was about 15 a girl that i looked up to and loved a lot killed herself and um, sorry no, um it's okay i really spent um many many decades now 20, 20 years or so trying to figure out why she did it because she left no note she basically just left this world and left us all hanging wondering what was going on in her mind. And that's when I started writing because I couldn't really grasp what had happened. And I had looked up to her and she basically had everything that, you know, we were always told you needed to be happy. She was beautiful. She was smart. She was, you know, popular. She had all these things. She was talented. And here she was dead and nobody knew what had brought her to this point. And so I spent many years writing stories about her and wondering, you know, what it was like in her head and what she was thinking about and why she didn't reach out and what the things were. And one of the conclusions I came to was that what I think you do in the last moments of your life is go back in your mind to the relationships you had. I don't think any of us is going to go back and 
think about, oh, you know, that beautiful email you wrote uh, <laughs> or whatever it is that you work on. Yeah. I think we're going to go back to the people we love or lost or, you know. And so slowly but slowly over the years, other things started happening with, you know, other friends. And so it became one story in my mind in which I was trying to explore what brings a person to that razor's edge and, you know, what, what their thoughts are. And I believe we think about love and we think about the people in our lives, but maybe maybe we don't. <laughs> we'll all find out one day, Jed. We will, yeah. And, and, and the way you kind of <laughs> reflect this kind of process of um, in, in your last moments, uh, what, what do you think about you, The way you do that is in quite a, a unique and I think really interesting way. So Abigail, uh, Abigail what's, her, what's Abigail's character called again? Romy? Oh, Romy. Yes, Romy, Romy, that's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's her birthday and uh, she's having a, a, a crisis um, and she locks herself in, in the bathroom and her friends mm-hmm. are trying to reach her tr- because they're worried for her, they're, they're worried she might do something and in her kind of affected state she imagines each of her friends appearing to her in the bathroom and kind of talking mm-hmm. to her about about the experiences that, that they that they had together. Where, where did you come up with this with this idea? It's Where did you come up with the the, the kind of framing um, of, of, of this story? You know that's really interesting, I don't know okay. it just came out like this I like to say that I thought about this script for 20 years and then I wrote it in two weeks, but it's kind of true. Um, it was almost like from the moment when I finally sat down to write this specific story down, that's what this character wanted me to do. I, I know this sounds really strange and, and kind of crazy, but that's where I saw her. I saw her sitting in a bathroom with her friends outside Um locked away from her and trying to reach her through this closed door. There wasn't really like a, um, a conscious decision to make. It just happened. Yeah, and it's such a, a very it's such a beautiful Sorry, <laughs> metaphor as well. Just just her behind this closed door, um, and like we all put up barriers sometimes mm-hmm. between us and our friends, and it's just them trying to break through this barrier in order to to get to her to understand mm-hmm. her. And um, I love I love the fact that she dances in in the bathroom. And would you say that the the bathroom mm-hmm. kind of represents her her inner self, her her mind, and yes. and this dancing is how she kind of portrays herself to be in her, in her own mind and again I, I don't know how it ends it, it could go well off the rails um, but like what I've seen so far um, I, I really enjoy um, <laughs> I really do um, so, so let's talk let's be, we'll, well, we'll you talk. guys you have to see it too you have to see it with Jed I promise you I will and I, I will update you <laughs> with what I think um, so cool. um, when you when you um, had this idea um, when the tragedy uh, befell your, your friend what, what were you kind of thinking how did you know at that time that you were going to put this film together and and how did you actually put it together from from the from the moment you thought of it to to making it how how did that process happen yeah in the beginning i didn't know it was a film of course i Mm -hmm. just you know i just needed to figure out what was going on in her head and i wrote short stories about her and i wrote essays about her and then of course i got you know life happened and you know high school ended i went to university i studied um american literature and drama Mm -hmm. i you know, fell into being an actress without really caring. All I wanted to do is tell stories, but I come from a family where there were no artists. There were, I didn't know anybody who was an artist. I didn't know anybody who did anything in this kind of field. We were quite, you know, 
I mean, I'm, not, I'm sure you maybe can, you know, appreciate that. Yes, yeah, of course. So I kind of <laughs> fell into acting and spent my time on the sets really annoying people, trying to figure out how they did things they did, why they set them up, and, you know, hanging out at the monitors and staring over the director's shoulder. And I'm sure I was really annoying, but <laughs> I didn't care. I just needed to know how it was done. And then ultimately, I realized that the story that I'd been carrying with me for so long needed to be a film. But that kind of happened, you know, over many years. And as I said, I, I thought about it for 20 years and wrote it in two weeks. And then I um, gave it to uh, a friend of mine who is a brilliant casting director, and she became my producer on it. She was the first one to actually get it, because I think a lot of people ended up reading the script and going, I don't know what's happening. I'm done reading this. And the ones that actually finished it and got it, people like Abigail, those people are my people. Yeah. <laughs> are the people I want to be around. Yeah. Um, it was sort of like a, a test, I feel. Like, I've, I've had decided that now I, I know what my friendship test is, if you can read this kind of stuff and like it. You <laughs> <laughs> um, can be friends. <laughs> so this is, your, this is your first feature, right? Yes, it was. I did some shorts before because uh-huh. um, I wanted to, you know, learn a little bit of my, my thing. I did actually a short with um, somebody listening, like Danny Houston, oh, okay. um, who is a fantastic actor um, and great friend. And we did a short together called Walking Good Times that, you know, did the festival circuit. And then, of uh-huh. course, I had to go around begging people for money and making, you know, figuring out how to it's incredibly hard to finance. I'm sure you know those independent yes. films. <laughs> there's, there's no, and especially in America because there's no grants. There's no, there's nothing. There literally is nothing. You have to find people willing to believe in what you're doing, um, which is incredibly hard because you're talking about something that, while there's a script, is in, only in someone's head. Yeah. And to give hard-earned money to that. It's, it's a hard thing to ask people. We were very lucky. We found a wonderful man um, from UK also. By the way, yeah, you guys. talking to the right person then. You... <laughs> my life happened. <laughs> <laughs> you need to move back. You don't, you don't need to be in LA. You need to be in London. This is where it's all going on. <laughs> I know. I have to come back there. That's why I'm apparently need to be. Um, same as Ali Rabinshad. He became our executive producer and he helped me with the financing. And then we finally made the film, and it took, you know, it took like eight years to find, put the financing together. And in the end, we had very, very little. We made the film in 18 days mm-hmm. um, for $300,000, which is insane with 46 locations. What was the budget, sorry? Um, $300,000. Okay, wow, well, you did very well for, for $300,000. Um, yeah no it it looks beautiful like and also the um the the music the musical cues that you've used are just perfect as soon as it starts those those first bars of of that that song is 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 brilliant and kind of really sets the mood of of what you're about to see um something kind of a little bit kind of magical no who is it oh his name is johnny jewel he um is absolutely brilliant and I worship him. He has a band called The Chromatics. Oh, yes, um, The Chromatics. another band called Hard Candy. Oh, yes, The Chromatics yeah, are brilliant. Johnny. Yeah. Um, using on quite yeah. a lot of film fa- soundtracks, actually, The Chromatics now. And famously also yes. in the new series of Twin Peaks, I seem to remember. Oh, yeah? 
Yeah, I didn't even the, know that. Yeah, they That's use amazing. the chromatics, and I think they actually the chromatics actually make an appearance in the bar in Twin Peaks, um, I believe. Oh, I have to see that. Yeah, oh, it's it's great. It's great. I think they they're in it twice, um, from memory. I'm I'm a bit obsessed with with the new Twin Peaks. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about you here, Jay. <laughs> <No. laughs> so so you moved to L- so you moved to LA from from uh, from Europe, and was that because you thought that LA is the the place you should go if if you're going to be a filmmaker? Is that the kind of the uh, the end of the rainbow? type scenario where that's where you want to no. go if you want to be a filmmaker. What was the reason behind that? No, there was, the reason, there was two reasons, actually. My my dad, who was a, a wonderful writer um, and a very introverted person who didn't really speak much about his feelings. Um, I didn't even know he wrote this kind of stuff until after he had passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad always dreamt of coming to America. That was for, He had seen, he and I would go and watch movies together in the afternoon when our mom when my mom kicked us out you know <laughs> she wanted to have an afternoon to herself on the weekend yeah we would go to the movies and we would watch films you know set in america a lot of times and you know how it is when you watch a place a lot you think you have already been there yeah i felt like i i had been here in los angeles before even though i'd never even set foot here <laughs> and then i had personal reasons i had a marriage fall apart and my dad had long passed, and I figured out I'd go to the place that he and I had always escaped to, even though it was only in the movies. Mm-hmm. I'll go to America. Um, and I came here, and one person here, and that was actually Danny Houston, the, the wonderful actor and director. Yeah. And um, kind of arrived here and felt like I had been here before, and in a way I had, because I had been here in the movies, you know? And you, you, you did. You were. We, we talked before we press record. We talked a little bit about you appearing um, on the kind of outskirts of of movies um, throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Um, you've, your filmography mm-hmm. is quite large. You've been in quite a few few things. <laughs> um, out of out of all the things you've done, what what's the uh, the the best thing you've been in? Do you think, or the most interesting thing you were part of, besides besides oh, obviously this film? No question. Children of Dune, um, yeah. in which I played Princess Alia opposite um, James McAvoy, who played my nephew and competitor. Oh, and, wow. Um, the wonderful Jessica Brooks and Susan Sarandon. It was a great, that was a fantastic experience. Um, with a fellow Greek director called Greg Yaitanis. Hi, Greg. To listen to you. <laughs> um, he cast me, even though they were looking for a short, blonde um girl i heard later they went with a six foot brunette from greece so (laughs) thank you that's so good i hadn't even heard of children of dune to be honest and i'm looking at it right now and it's uh it's it's doing well on um on imdb heresy i know i will i promise you i promise you after this i will track it down i'll watch the second half of the beautiful now and children of dune and i will update you i will update you okay i promise um and i'll also watch the episode of felicity you were in as well oh god that was i don't even remember that Do you know? that was long before yeah that, that's before long before i was a filmmaker see you're bringing up stuff i had long forgotten <laughs> i liked you before Jed. i'm sorry um but like, just looking looking at your looking at your your films, you've some interesting things. Were you in in a Greek version of Three Men and a Baby? 
there's something called four Urlauba uh, yes. and one baby. And yeah, Urlauba and one baby. Yes, yes that's the one. It's a Greek German court production. Okay. Yes. And you really don't need to see that. <laughs> no, that no. is just me paying the rent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I promise you I won't watch that. Um, let's get back onto a beautiful now then. So how do, how did you cast Abigail, and um, what was the whole process of casting? Because she had done a lot of big things before before um, this, a lot of big TV shows, Mad Men suits, etc. Um, so she's at the top of the game. How does a a newcomer to the kind of to, to film bag a, a great actress like that? What what what's the trick? What's the trick, Daniela? What's the trick? <laughs> So I honestly, I wish I knew too. There's, <laughs> it's incredibly hard um, getting by the gatekeepers, mm-hmm. you know, the agents, the managers, I find astonishingly hard. Yeah. I have to say that once you do, once you're assigned one in somewhere, um, it changes because once the actual artists are reading things, they will get things that the gatekeepers will not. In this specific case, I was actually very, very lucky. Um, there was an agent who's still Abigail's agent. Her mm-hmm. name is Meredith, um, who was just lovely to us. She knew that you know I was an absolute nobody with a dream. And she read the script on a Thursday. And by Saturday, I was meeting Abigail. Wow. Um, and she said, look... You know, and I have to say, I have this memory. You have to ask Abigail about it because mm-hmm. I have this filmic memory of the moment we met. This agent set up the meeting, and I swear to you, I think she walked down the stairs in slow motion with a spotlight <laughs> on her because that's how I remember it. I remember it like because I had in in my head, I had thought about this Romy girl for so long. Mm-hmm. I even drove over to the meeting with this kind of like frog in my throat thinking I don't know why I'm so nervous about this (laughs) and then she walked in and I was just and she sat down and I have this also this memory of us just sitting there quietly holding hands which must have been seconds but in my mind it's become this you know 10 minute silence Um, (laughs) and she just said to me and I, I very clearly remember what she said to me she said you wrote such a beautiful script I will I will take her and protect her and i just i just remember exhaling just thinking that's her that's that's it i'm done i just i don't even think we talked much about the script Mm -hmm. i just think we were it was a little bit like falling in love actually i think (laughs) it it sounds like it sounds like the best day ever you know (laughs) the best day ever um i don't know who said that somebody said once filming is 80 percent casting the right people yeah um it's so true Mm -hmm. i mean the moment she walked in i knew she would do something incredible with this part and kind of something less emotional but funnier happened with cheyenne he was also represented by the same agent she introduced me on to him on the monday following Mm -hmm. um and i sat down in this cafe and i was I don't even remember why, but I was wearing white socks with my sneakers. <laughs> and he sat down and he said, oh, white socks, really? And I thought, that's the most David thing anybody can say, which is the character's name. Yes, yeah. So, <laughs> so I basically went home and I wrote the producers and I said, I found the Romy. I have found the girl that's Romy and I have found the actor that has to be David. I just knew um, that's great. Did so you, this is, really goes back to this one agent. <laughs> yeah. 
So did did you know that she could dance though? How how did she how did you know that she could dance? She had sent me the agent had sent me a link to Abigail dancing and oh. it was beautiful. And I have to say also what she had to go through in this film, I mean, as I told you, we had no money in eighteen days mm-hmm. and so many locations and we shot all the dance scenes in one day. Uh, there's, I think, eight or nine numbers, nine. Wow. Um, we shot them all in one day. So she had to go through so much. She And, of course, the other dancers as well, and the wonderful choreographer, um, Andrea Shermley, who's from South Africa, who choreographed this. Um, they, they went through a lot to do this, and I can only tell you that I can I thank them so much for you know what in the end this is really what I wanted to say mm-hmm. filmmaking is such team sport and doing something small like this out of a passion of one person you need so many people to be there with you and help you and carry this thing with you nobody can do this alone and it's so important to know that anybody who watches that and I hope you do mm-hmm. know that they're were a lot of people who put their heart and soul into this because they believed in it and they didn't get paid and they worked incredible hours. And this is really all of us who wanted to share this with everyone. Wow. So when you when you make a film like this, when it, when it's done, is your aim to make it match the the idea of it in your head? So obviously you had this in your head swirling around for for for, mm-hmm. for ages, for decades <laughs> even. And when you finally get to make it, and you're, you're in this short period of time, how close to your original vision was a beautiful now? <laughs> I think it's actually more beautiful than I was hoping for. Um, again, the same thing I said, just that before even our DP, who had never done a feature before, um, he grew so much and he, he literally gave him a candle and, you know, and, and a reflector and said, make it look beautiful. And he did. <laughs> it is, I had a, the story in my head, but the visuals are more beautiful than I was hoping for. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, because it became sort of everybody's joint dream. And I know that sounds very new agey, but I felt like once this group came together of people, of actors and and everybody that worked, you know, together with me, Mm -hmm. it became all of ours. And I think it changed because of that, but it changed for the better. That's that's always the always the aim to. Uh, but do you think that once mm-hmm. once it's out in the world, there's a part of you that's almost gone because you've you've carried it with you for years, and now it's out there. Do you feel like almost like you've given birth to something, and now it's out there in the world? Mm-hmm. You can't control what happens to it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, is it? Do you feel is there a catharsis mm-hmm. to it that now it's gone and, and out there, or do you feel that's still yeah. very much part of you? No, it, I feel like, yes, I feel, I call it my film baby. I have two children <laughs> and I, and, you know, they were very little when I started this and they you know they're not so little anymore. Uh-huh. They are, I, I call this my, my third baby. It's my, my film baby. Yeah. It, it, it's very, you're right. It is actually a catharsis. Um, I feel like I have let it go now mm-hmm. because I feel like I have given her the monument that I wanted to give her the, the best I could. Um, I wanted to tell her story and I wanted to make it a love letter to all of those that are feeling like they're on the edge of doing something that's irreversible 
and hopefully reaching some people and saying, get help. There is a tomorrow. There is, you know, don't don't just leave and think that nothing can change anymore. Um, it's devastating to the people around you. Mm-hmm. And it is irreversible. And there is, I wanted to say, that's why I called the film A Beautiful Now, because I wanted people to know that's all we ever have is right now. You know, you and me, this moment you and I have right now mm-hmm. is all we have. You know, a plane might fall on my building or on yours in a second, <laughs> and then that was it. That's all <laughs> we have ever been promised right now. Yeah. And it's important to let go of what Romy couldn't do is let go of the past, forgive herself, and move on. Um, acknowledge what has happened, acknowledge the mistakes she has made, apologize to the people that she hurt, and then let it go. Um, I think that's what we all need to kind of strive to do. Yeah. And I feel like I wanted to even remind myself to do that with this film. That's great. And so I feel like I think we achieved that. <laughs> I hope. Um, and I, don't, I don't think Abigail's going to join us on this call, but I will. I will speak to her uh, in yep. the next day or so, and we can. Yep. Um, I'll see see if her side of the story matches up with yours. If it was love at first sight, I like, know because <laughs> she'll be like, she'll be like, yeah, yeah I didn't I really like Daniela at first, but <laughs> um, <laughs> probably <laughs> don't tell me then. I, I my won't. beautiful now. <laughs> oh, um, but um, so oh. so now this is now this is. Now this is out there. It's on Netflix. So th- this thing that you've put out there, it's on the best platform we could possibly be on. It's on Netflix in America. Um, as I said, I, I had to mm-hmm. use uh, nefarious methods to watch it um, in the UK using various different VPNs. But um, I've watched, I've watched half of it. Um, but um, how how do people how have people reacted to it so far? How, do you, have you had any feedback from kind of people who have been in a similar situation? Yes, I have. I've had um, that. That's the wonderful thing about Netflix, and I'm so proud and happy we're on it. I'm actually hoping that we will get Netflix to uh, stream the film worldwide, including in the UK. It would be um, that's so what good. We're working on right now because yeah. I really would love. Yeah, I would love to to share it. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's yes. I, ever since the moon, it was amazing to see because the film ran in a limited release here in the theaters and you know I got like you know a letter or an email here or there and then the film went on Netflix <laughs> and this, the first week I got I think it was about 200 no way um, emails that were sent to yeah to my to my um, manager at the time or my store manager mm-hmm. and people were telling me the most private personal stories and I've actually responded to a lot of them and it's been wonderful hearing that there were people that were writing to me about you know being bipolar and feeling like this was one of the few times they had seen somebody portray on film what that actually feels like Um, there were people that had wrote to me about you know having lost someone to suicide It, it was it's incredibly personal and it means so so much to me because in the end, that's what we all want to. We want to connect with someone and to be able to connect with people. I don't really care what, you know, critics say or whatever. To get these letters and emails that are so loving and so so honest, mm-hmm. that's everything I ever wanted. That's the perfect so I'm, I'm response. I'm incredibly proud. 
that's the perfect feedback and Mm -hmm. it justifies you putting in your time and effort and holding on to it for all these years to have a response like that That, that's amazing and that's that's incredible you've you've changed people's lives just by putting this out there so you've really done justice to 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 your friend Uh, that out of that tragedy you've hopefully saved a a whole load of people Mm -hmm. from going through anything like that that's it's great you don't get that with with most films no, that's exactly, and that's why I said to, even when, when, you know, people came on board to make this film with me, I told them, I said, look, if we reach one person, if we only reach one person and change what they were going to do, mm-hmm. or help, give them help in helping somebody who was going to do something like this, then it's worth it. It just is. I, I don't even care what else happens. And so having having that out there now on Netflix, and boy, I thank them so much for having their platform. Yeah. It's incredible, <laughs> you know. Well, I hope it does reach uh, the UK because of the. I mean, here is is you have a lot of people over here that would appreciate that kind of uh, seeing it on film as um, because we, the people in the UK have similar issues and uh, um, yeah, I think yeah. it could help a lot of people over here too. Um, so after oh, that this, would be so awesome. Hello, Netflix. Are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they probably are. Um, so, uh, so a beautiful now was was your last one. Do you have a new project um, on the horizon? Is there anything else that yes. you've, you've what's what's your new thing? Mm-hmm. What 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 is it? <laughs> so the other thing I wrote. What's your new thing, man? What's your new um, thing? So we're we're done with the beautiful now. What's next? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're done with the beautiful now. <laughs> we're now going to the ugly path. No. Um, um, no, but I, I wrote a, a movie called Get Lost, mm. which is based on Alice in Wonderland. Hey, back um, to the UK, Lewis Carroll. Exactly. Hello. I love Alice in Wonderland, by the way. It's it's my, one of my favorite stories ever. So, Thank so, you. Mine too. It really is. Um, so what, what what's what's your take on it then? Is it like a, um, a direct kind of translation of the book or is it your own kind of spin on it? So I loved this book since I was very little. So I thought I want to tell, yeah, I want to tell a modern Alice in Wonderland. And then, you know, um, uh, Tim Burton's came out mm-hmm. and it was wonderful, but it was still very close to the book. And I thought, yeah. no, that's not really what I would want to do with it. <laughs> so I wrote a story in which the characters from uh, Alice in Wonderland are change for example the caterpillar is a drag queen that changes from a man into a woman or changes himself so i wrote a story of a young american girl who comes to europe and falls down the rabbit hole and grows up and so that's my and it's gonna be that's why it's called get lost because sometimes you have to get lost to find yourself that's the tagline super excited about it that is the tagline Thank you. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to get lost to find yourself. I can just imagine. And is Abigail in this? Are you going to? Is Abigail Alice? Um, yes, I want. I want her to be in it. Um, we are currently putting it together. Okay. Um, I have Abigail Breslin wants to play the girl. Wow, which is great. she's great. Um, and uh, and John Malkovich would play um, a very mysterious hotel supervisor mm-hmm. who is. A mentor figure, um, the Red King from from the books. Yeah. 
So there's every character, Mad Hatter is in it, you know, all of these characters, but they're just completely changed in, into modern characters. So we have an American girl falling into European wonderland. I would love to shoot it in London, by the way. That's oh. the perfect place to do it. Okay, hit me up. You, you can use my house. I, I, live in, I live in a 17th century cottage. So. <laughs> um, Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Yeah, you, you, you can film here if you want. It looks cool. It's a cottage. <laughs> you know what? Jen, yeah. you're going to put this film together now. Once okay. we hang up with your uh, radio program, you and I are going to put this film together. Deal, deal. Um, is it true that you will only ever work with actresses called Abigail? That's what it seems like. Abigail <laughs> Breslin. Yes. Abigail Spencer. Yes. Uh, that's great. That's the thing. What I would love to do. No, you know what I would love to do is I would love to have the same actors that I love working with so much. Um, and have basically like a, a rolling crew together and we make many films together. Yeah, um, yeah. So I would love to, you know, have Abigail in this. I would love to have Cheyenne in this. Yeah. I've written parts for both of them. I hope they like them. I haven't even read them yet. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, just move on and make, make more films together. Yeah, and, and Cheyenne's used to that because he, he does American Horror Story and that's a, a rolling ensemble cast. Mm-hmm. He's been in, in the last few seasons. Um <laughs> We we didn't really mention him much. How how was it working with him? What what was was he was he great to work with too? <laughs> yeah, see, this is the thing. I I feel like I've been incredibly lucky. I think when you do your first film, and you know, here come the heavyweight actors. <laughs> I think you can it can go horribly wrong. I was incredibly lucky with these two. Both Abig- Abigail gave me her heart and her soul and all her talent and mm-hmm. put it in this film. And Cheyenne brought the humor and the love that this character needed. And I call him my spirit animal because <laughs> he just makes me laugh. <laughs> he's adorable and wonderful and talented. And he's just, and he's, you know, he can be sarcastic, which I love. Yeah. And Abigail is very thoughtful and they're very different. And I love them both like family. <laughs> is, he as really as, is he as effortlessly charming as he, as he seems like on film and in TV shows? It seems like... He gives you that one look with those with those blue eyes, and he kind of he can do anything. He he just seems very natural, and um, yeah, he must, he must have been great to have on set. I I call. I, here's what I have to say about Cheyenne. Everybody falls in love with him. <laughs> Women, children, men, dogs, cats. It doesn't matter. My dog saw the. I mean, my dog, who's very shy, literally saw Cheyenne and just rolled on her back. He just went, <laughs> "Yep, love this guy." <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very effortless and it's a little bit frightening. <laughs> he has powers. He has skills. Um, he has powers. Tell him that for me. <laughs> I will. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to discussing with him and also checking his side of the story because maybe maybe he had a hard time on set mm-hmm. and you never know. <laughs> when he <joking>. exactly <laughs> ask him about the white socks. Ask him if he remembers making the comments about my ugly white socks. The white socks. He did okay. He says now that he didn't, but I where he did because the thing is in america they always wear white socks michael jackson wore white socks he got away with it so if he <laughs> yeah, can wear it i have it, a feeling though i'm not michael jackson <laughs> that's true um but yeah I, 
I, I guess uh, we'll, we can leave the uh, the podcast there, but we will speak afterwards. Don't worry, we'll after a, a press stop. Um, but it's been great to it's been great to speak to you. I'm ho- hoping um, I see the rest of the beautiful now. I promise you, I will, um, because I, I really really enjoyed mm-hmm. what I saw so far. And yeah, is there any way for people to get in touch with you if they need to, want to find out more about you or um, just get in contact in general? Um, like social yes, networks. I'll send you a link maybe that you can put it. Yeah, I mean, a beautiful now is on social networks. It's okay. on um, Instagram and Facebook. Although I don't really, I'm, I'm myself not. Ah, but I'll not. Some links, and then you maybe can put them in your show notes. I will do. I will do. If you want. Yep. Uh, well, thank you very much, Danielle. I really appreciate uh, speaking to you. And it looks like I'll be speaking to Abigail separately from you, which is probably for the best. So I can really test probably. to see if, <laughs> if it was really a love, a love story between you two. Um, the, love, the love is one-sided. How that's sad true. would that be? She's like, fat bitch. <laughs> she, may, she might be jealous of the fact that you've got another Abigail on the cards. She thought you, she was the only Abigail in your life. <laughs> uh, but thanks no, so much. Exactly. I have many Abigails. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for oh, once no, that's again. That's not true, Abigail Spencer. I love you. <laughs> oh, it's been really good speaking to, um, especially oh God, European. You're just breaking up everybody, Chet. No, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll fix it. I promise you. Um, but um, Daniela Amavia, thank you so much for being on, and um, we will uh, talk again, and we'll talk straight after this, just in a second. Um, but thank you very okay. much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.